Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Kirsty and I'm from Cardiff, and you're listening to Dean Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, do you think there's any truth to astrology and how people's personalities can be made from their star signs? Okay, here comes the show, and remember to question everything. Hello everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... Hey, we're talking everything from Kirsty from Cardiff's question. Do you think there is any truth in astrology? Does it dictate people's personalities? Uh... Dane, I'd say no, personally. Uh, and <laughs> I think if you believe in it, it might help dictate your personality. <laughs> uh, but maybe I'm, I'm, I need to investigate more. I don't know. What, what do you reckon, mate? Um, I don't know. I think it might be a combination of nature and nurture. I feel like... Uh, I don't think, yeah, the, the alignment of planets can necessarily determine what kind of person you're going to be. I think that would invalidate free will but I think it's like you said Howard um, all of these ideas have as much power as you allow them to have over you mm. so like any ideology so um, does it dictate people's personalities as much as they allow it to yeah, I'd say that's a Kirsty. good good answer and thank you Kirsty and well listen suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave Absolutely, whether that is about being an astronaut, astronomy or astrology, no question is too big, too small or too intergalactic for us to answer. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a pioneering figure in British media. He has spent over 25 years working in media, including eight years as a senior executive at the BBC, winning numerous industry awards in the process. He is currently head of external consultancies at the Sir Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity and is also the chair of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. He has recently been named on the 2022 UK Power List and last year he edited the Black British Lives Matter, an anthology highlighting the vital benefits that Black Britons bring to society and the importance of eradicating racism which sounds a lot like the show Bamus I made. Uh, but please welcome to the show, Mr. Marcus Ryder, MBE. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. You're, Thank you for asking You're me. a fan, uh, Marcus, which is exciting, isn't it? We're not always sure if the guests are fans. But... Either, a big, either a big fan or a very charismatic guest who's able to <laughs> wrap us around his finger. Well, <laughs> can I ask, can I answer Kirsten's Please, question? I was just about to throw it over to you. Do you believe in astrology, Marcus? Okay. First of all, no. Right? <laughs> right? The, the short answer is no. But the second answer is I'm giving it some thought. And I think that maybe if you're supposedly, if you're born in times of, to use an extreme example, if you're born in times of starvation, right, right. the chemicals and the hormones in your mother's womb affects, affects you when you're mm. born. Right? Similarly, if you're born in times of 
um, when there's plenty, you know, and you've got a better diet. Hmm. So I wonder if the time of year that you're born, maybe not so much now because you can get strawberries all times of the year and what have hmm. you, but I do wonder if the time of the year that you're born, whether that might affect the genetics of your mother when oh. you were conceived, possibly. Oh, so the diet, the diet, you're, the diet you were having the, back the then. The diet as well, would definitely affect know. it. I think obviously your mother's experiences, because that will determine whether or not she secreted a certain amount of serotonin or dopamine, which will also have an effect on your uh, chemical makeup as well. Um, times of high stress and anxiety as well, and yeah, they can all yeah. affect these things. So. Yeah. So I, I wonder if it's less to do with the, the stars and more to do with the seasons, which then align with, you know, so maybe I'm a Piscean. The fact that I know that, I'm almost ashamed, but yeah, I do know <laughs> that I'm a Piscean. All right, so maybe being born in February means that I have a slightly, had a slightly different hormonal um, makeup. Mm. Or my mother had a slightly different hormonal makeup than somebody bought who's a Leo. I don't know. But it's, but it's, but it's going to be affected by astrology or more astronomy in that, you know, the more sun there is, the better your mood is going to be. And if you live in an area where there may not be a lot of sunlight, that might can affect, that can affect your mood and can pass on to a child as well. So there might be some relevance of astrology, but maybe not, I guess, the zodiac in terms of people being like, well, I'm okay to behave that way because I'm a Scorpio. Mm. Because I find that, like, I don't know, you know, on the subject of when people say I'm non-binary and people go, I don't understand how someone can say they're not a gender. And I just say what I think because I'm a space scorpion. So, and it's like people are yeah. like, "Oh, you're such a Sagittarian." It's like, "Well, piss off! I'm not. I'm just me. I'm just me." You know, it's like. But, but yeah. this is why I, I love your show because I can guarantee I've never been on a podcast before where anybody has ever taken my opinion on the zodiac <laughs> and actually spent more than would. Well, I was going to say more than thirty seconds. Spent more than a second. There you go. So wow. I can explore parts of my mad theories in life. <laughs> that, that's all we want to do. And spoken, spoken like a true space fish, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show uh, tends to dictate. As the format has dictated and the stars have aligned, uh, Mr. Marcus Ryder, MBE, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question. Any question you would like, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes or so. And then Howard here would like to pose you a question, uh, which we would discuss for the same amount of time. And then an interesting twist, not predicted by any astrological psychics. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Meg had no idea. I would pose a question to you, which we discuss for 15 minutes. And then you could tell our listeners about more of your good works uh, as past, present and future. How does that sound? Well, okay, sounds acceptable to me. I, I can do that. <laughs> Good. All right. We'll play All it right. by ASCA, it goes. <laughs> okay, well, the only thing which I would take issue with is that I'm not going to wait till the very end of the show to start self-promoting the books fine, that I write. So fine. I'm going to do, do it now. Great, go. Right, nice. with, go. with my question. Yeah, lovely. Okay. Nice, People nice. do that more subtly than you, but no, you're... you're for... <laughs> uh, nah, <laughs> it's fine, it's now. fine. Classic yeah. space fish behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first book that I wrote with Lenny Henry was Access to All Areas, a Diversity Manifesto for TV and Beyond, right? Is it time for us to get rid of the word diversity? People talk about it all the time. Is it a useful word? Do we just need to get rid of it? And, and can I just ask before, before Dane, or we, we, is, there, is there something that's particularly inspiring that thought in your mind at the moment? Yeah, because I think that we... It's kind of, I often find it meaningless. People talk about somebody being diverse and I'm like in the singular and it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes people seem to use the word diversity to avoid 
you know, words which are like racism, you know, where they might be actually meaning racism or sexism. Yeah, so they'll say a you know? lack of diversity. And they talk about lack of diversity. You're like, no, you are racist. Yeah. You know, you are sexist, you know, but so it's kind of a polite way. Um, uh, and yeah, and sometimes you can look at almost any kind of group of people and say, oh, they look, you know, by using your, it's in the chapter in a book, we have a, a chapter called Humpty Dumpty. I think it's chapter eight, because Humpty Dumpty and Alice Through the Looking Glass um, famously came out with words mean whatever I want them to mean, right? Um, and it's kind of a philosophical, you know, mm-hmm. Lewis Carroll and Alice, and Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass actually tackled some philosophical issues, right? even though it's a children's book. And I sometimes wonder if diversity means whatever people want it to mean. So you look at, say, oh, this is diverse because you're deciding that diversity that day is going to be gender or diversity that day is going to be socioeconomic or diversity that day is going to be whatever. And just whether it's meaningless now, you know, and this is talking to somebody who put it in the title of their book. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm very happy to criticize the title of my book and whether... <laughs> You know, it just seems like corporate speak sometimes. Well, and, and before Dane weighs in, I often, I think I've done this about five times on this podcast, but we've done a hundred of almost 50 episodes, so I can, I can repeat myself now again. But once upon a time, Dane said something to me about how he hated the word BAME and how you felt that there was this thing where it was like you were being given like armbands or like a special suit to be like, oh, you know, we're in that section, treat her. So the, the thing that you're chal- you know, talking about, which I think Dane, you know, references a lot, is is this feeling like the even though they're trying to do something positive, it's actually having massive negative implications at times. Or, or to put it another way, maybe I should have made it a broader question, which is, are there certain words that we just need to retire? <laughs> the words that we thought were useful and we just need to say, okay, fine, let's just get rid of them. I mean, either way you ask the question, it's it's a very good and valid question. And I guess it's one of these things where it's, it, it depends, I guess it depends who's using the word and how, and the context in which it's being used that uh, changes the efficacy of, your, of it. So, for example, the, the term woke, for example, um, has been co-opted by mainstream media as well as from detractors who don't agree with the uh, supposed meaning of it. When historically the tenets of being what people regard as woke now, when I was growing up, was referred to as being conscious, and now that that's been taken and kind of co-opted by uh, mainstream or dominant culture as a whole, it's a word that's kind of lost meaning. Um, I'd go so far as to say the same thing for feminism has lost meaning in terms of how people turn to interpret it, uh, because some people. Because obviously feminism, feminism should be a facet of being a humanist and you know the idea that your gender doesn't predispose you to inferior treatment from anybody else based on that. But, you know, that's for some people is kind of like, you know, is this a thing that was saying women, some women just want to be doing the same thing that men are doing. And it's like, just because men are doing it doesn't mean it's a good idea. So for example, Margaret Thatcher being a prime minister is not a feminist triumph necessarily just because she's a woman is what I mean by that. Mm. By you supporting Margaret Thatcher on the basis that she's a woman doesn't take away from any regressive policies she would have made that would have caused suffering to people irrespective of their gender. So that's why I mean it kind of loses meaning when it's in the wrong hands. Mm. So um, People often use these words, now, like you say, like woke or like... I mean, I even think... You tell me if I'm wrong, 
But like, I even think, I mean, there's no right or wrong, but anyway, <laughs> I often think that the word racism has lost ma- some meaning at times. And I think that's partly because there's some younger generations, and I've seen this at times in extended families, where I, I hear that word being used, oh, that's racist. And I'd be like, I'm not sure that's the right use of that word, but like, and, and that kind of, I don't know, it's starting almost to demean that word, which seems insane yeah. that that can be happening. I think, I think that might be, there might be some uh, deliberate efforts to reduce the effect of these words, uh, Marcus. So it's not necessarily a question of people, uh, of the word necessarily being retired. It's just like how I said, how people are using it correctly. So that's a really good point to bring up in terms of racism and how it's been misused. I think that there is a effort that's been used to kind of uh, make that word become more of a buzzword. Mm. And by that token, it kind of just loses this effect because, you know, even to people who were exhibiting racist policies, being called out on racism used to be anathema to them. Whereas now, because it's repeated so often, even by those who don't necessarily understand the difference between racial rhetoric and prejudice and institutional structural racism, it begins to lose its meaning because it becomes more of a knee-jerk blursing than it does actually um, something that's punctuating a an ideology that actually affects people's lives. Well, and, and, and Marcus, mm. like you must have sat, Jesus Christ, through so many meetings uh, where these words are getting used. <laughs> Diversity... But by you know a number of different words must be and uh, inclusion inc- representation, yeah, representation. And, and, and do you just feel like crying at times when 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 you feel these words are being misused or just or just wrongly used? All right, so I think that's what I'm nervous about is whether they're actually being correctly used. Mm, yeah. and so what I mean by that is I tweeted out something just because for fun this morning because I was feeling a bit frustrated saying that when black people were appointed as overseers on the slave plantations, that wasn't progress. Yeah, exactly. Right? And exactly. you know, maybe people are using the word diversity correctly in that they want to increase the diversity in certain organisations, but it's the equivalent of increasing diversity on the slave plantation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on, on a very superficial level where the person may... You know, it's basically imp- just employing sheep, employing wolves in sheep's clothing is not going to keep a flock safe. And or, or employing the sheep to become wolves, herd, to become yeah. wolves, or to herd the or sheep, to herd other sheep for the for the sake for, for, yeah. for the wolves. Yeah, exactly. Really. Sorry good to point. extend this metaphor. Horribly, you know. <laughs> no, no, but it, no, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Is I think I think it's been seen as a very frequent part of uh, how supremacy is used by employing pedagogues who tend to conform to the wishes of an oppressor, but they resemble, but they might resemble the oppressed. And I think it's a very common tactic used by people who are opposed to equality. So I guess the issue isn't necessarily about diversity. It's more about equality. You can have diversity take place on a very superficial level, but if said, um, you know, diverse uh, individuals or diverse parties are not able to have any executive or legislative or political effect on the structure they're supposed to be diversifying, then it does lose meaning completely. Well, and, and the worst but, bit, yeah. I mean, I can only talk from um, one man's perspective. And, you know, I, I live a privileged life working in television, trying to invent TV shows. But like, 
I, I, I often find myself in a scenario where I kind of don't want to say anything about a subject I feel passionately about because I think I'm going to offend people. And that might be because for some people I'm offensive and I can appreciate, but it's also a fact of I'm questioning what we're doing. And, and sometimes I think what's going on is, uh, you know, it's not got the right heart behind what someone's trying to do. They're doing it for, for the for the fact that they're supposed to be doing it because they think they're going to make money, uh, <laughs> which I don't think is what motivates me. Like, you know, I might meet someone like uh, talking to this, um, you know, saw this guy was, guy at work was interviewing a, 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 a guy from Birmingham, 17 year old rapper, right? Now, you know, should I take an interest in this guy? Only if I'm interested in him, like if I don't connect with what his work, then it would be complete point, pointless of me to, to, to try. But I actually lit, listened to his work and was like, this kid's unbelievable. His eloquence on his tracks, his music is amazing. And so I, I instantly actually wanted to gravitate and talk to a guy. Not because I think I'm going to get some brownie points for being more diverse with my work, which is just, I just think ha- seems to be happening no, frequently. No, you raise an interesting point, something which I'm always, I struggle with and I get nervous about. And I frequently go into large organizations as a consultant and I see papers which are written saying that more diverse companies are, um, are more profitable and, and what have you. Right? And uh, first of all, that's great. But secondly, I'm like very nervous about justifying diversity policies or justifying the need to employ more black people or more women or more disabled people um, because it increases your profits. Because the, what happens when the, the next study comes out, which actually says that having an all-white, all-male group right, um, increases your profits? You know, or what happens? I, we shouldn't be dependent. If, if the framework that we're working in is that the only justification for companies to do anything for us to do something is profit-driven, then you're in a really dangerous place because yeah. you might find certain things increase profit, which are socially very unacceptable. And other things that might decrease profits, you know, I'm, are socially the, a, a social good that we want. I mean, that's, I mean, that's capitalism for you. And I think if you were to really scratch the surface of any of majority of diversity and initi- initiative inclusion initiatives we've seen over the last two years especially i'd say the primary motivating factor has been money um i think one of the reasons why we've for so long not seen a change in the makeup of a lot of corporate structures and uh other structure social structures is because of the fact that speaking for black people obviously being overrepresented uh below the poverty line we've not really had the financial sway in order to have our needs met which has allowed for um, our marginalization. Um, however, I think some companies that have now become aware of the purchasing power of the black community have begun to kind of, uh, I suppose, cater to the pander to them to an extent. But I think it's all on a very superficial level. In a same, and I think that's the problem is that um, diversity will tend to only be a reflection of those who have the resources and power to voice their desires for inclusion. Anything else really then is more of a uh, a pandering gesture that may not have any longevity. So I just don't think, I mean, we we could come up with new words other than diversity. Now it might just be down to the fact that, you know, this, this word has now been co-opted and therefore has lost its effect. But personally, um, the issue really is maybe that we continue to use more or less overt 
or less accusatory words or less incendiary words for the sake of etiquette, like diversity even and inclusion exists because it's, it's more to do with racism and what we used to call it is segregation. Mm. And maybe the fact that we try to reduce that by saying there's a lack of diversity rather than saying these institutions and these these circles within industry are segregated. Yeah. And, and that maybe that's the problem is that we need to continue to stand on this position and say it's segregated because what tends to happen instead is you have, again, when it comes to resources and power in these discussions, then people become co-opted. So, for example, I saw an article where the uh, last recipient of the Victoria Cross, uh, uh, it Johnson B. Harry, a uh, Grenadian guy, he uh, rescued a APC, he has shrapnel in his head. But he was one of the first people that got the Victoria Cross in years and uh, about a year or so ago, he was in an interview. He was saying, "I don't, I don't really experience any racism at the royal family," and this was like a rebuttal to the accusations made by Meghan Markle. And at first, I'm like, "Why would this black guy say that? He's a traitor and blah blah blah." But really, it's if you're somebody who needs medical bills and you have constant pain because there's shrapnel still lodged in your brain from an explosion that happened over 10, 15 years ago, then it's probably not very difficult for somebody to manipulate you and say, "Well, if you just say that we're cool." then we can pay some of your medical expenses. And that could be the issue really is that I think the issue really is there, that lack of autonomy and that lack of access to resources means that, you know, diversity still only happens to the extent that the powers that be allow it to, because, you know, unless there is a, a group that can galvanize themselves and vocalize their dissent and then also have the resources in order to affect that, then not much is going to change. So for example, one of the reasons why we want to see significant change uh, or some what appear to be changes in policy over the last couple of years is because, like in America, for example, NBA players refused to play in protest of um, George Floyd being murdered by Derek Chauvin. And people began to refuse to feed into a system that continues to marginalise. Whereas nowadays, you know, the structure of global capitalism has changed whereby it's much harder for people to... Um, I suppose it's much harder for everyone to be galvanized for the greater good because you can always, like you said, employ somebody who appears at least superficially diverse mm. but still represents the... Um, the establishment. Repre and the, yeah, represents the establishment. In the same way that, like, you know, now we have human resources and every company has human resources, but every person who works in HR within that, that company is being paid by the company. So they are being incentivized by the same company to do their job. So they're not going to do it at the detriment of that company because that's the people that employ them yeah so. it, it's it's like years ago and i really mean decades ago i remember um having discussions about wouldn't it be great if there was a black president in america mm -hmm. right you know so decades before um obama obviously mm -hmm. right and a lot of my more radical friends were like not really, because the America is still a capitalist country which um, uh, works through the extraction of um, capital from lesser developed countries and the actual society is, you know. So if you had a black person in charge of that, he might or she might be able to um, alleviate some of the worst excesses of some of the more extreme policies. Mm -hmm. You know, but the actual structure is one which is fundamentally working against um, equality, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
Now, I don't entirely buy that model, and uh, it definitely wouldn't be an argument for me to have not vote for somebody like Obama, or not that I was given the vote uh, in an American election, but hmm. you know, but I can see the validity in in that argument. There's a lot of theoretical, the, you know, st- there's something behind that that could. Well, yeah. But there's but there's, but there's but there's a difference. It's interesting because there's a difference then between it's the difference between diversity and representation. And I think even there, there's corporate structures that tend to confuse those as well. Because seeing someone that re- represents you has has a very different implications versus someone who's placed within a structure to affect changes that can benefit you. So again, that's, I think the issue is that people need to make sure they understand it in the same way that racism and structure of an institutional and structural nature is very different to racial rhetoric or prejudices. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the time people would make accusations against black people of reverse racism or racism, for example, not understanding. I can say, I think white guys are racist and I don't trust them. And that's actual racial rhetoric or prejudice. But if I say they can't work at this company because this is how I feel, that's racism because I'm impeding their ability to realize their potential as citizens or their civil or human rights are being impeded because of my beliefs. And a lot of people don't understand the difference. This is the reason why when people say, oh, it's racism or reverse racism, it's not because I cannot stop any white guy from getting a job based on my prejudices about him. And so we can never have a discussion about racism or reverse racism until there is an instance whereby you can be denied a job or you can be denied access to a water fountain or a toilet or, you know, freedom of religion or who you marry based on your race as a white person, which has never happened. I think until we understand these terms, then, yeah, you're never going to have effective conversations about diversity. It was an amazing question, though, uh, Marcus. What a que- what that, That's a great question to start this episode, Marcus. You've, you've nailed it. And uh... Great. I was going to say, if, if Dane can come in to the next meeting that I have with whatever major broadcaster or media organisation I have to explain this to them when they start talking nonsense, I'd really appreciate I'm it. I'm very much up for making that documentary. I've got you on speed dial now. Yeah. We're going to extend the, uh, the 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 space that we're going to talk in in this episode by a subject that uh, has become very you know this is we're doing something very topical this week, listeners. So if you're listening back to this episode this week, a big news story in the UK was a footballer uh, called uh, called Zuma uh, who plays for West Ham. Uh, yeah, Kurt Zuma. Kurt Zuma. Uh, well, formerly formerly of Chelsea, formerly of Chelsea, French national uh, in terms of international player, like top player. Um, decided to put on his social media uh, videos of him kicking and abusing his cat. Now, listeners, long-term listeners, new listeners, one thing you know about Howard Cohen is uh, I like cats. <laughs> okay, so I I am clearly not about to say something uh, anti-cat, right? But the thing that I was interested in was when my friend, colleague, uh, creative soul partner, Dane Baptiste, put a thing out on Instagram and Twitter, kind of making a bigger point about why are you so upset about this cat, um, <laughs> given there are other things to talk about. So my question, and I'm going to go to Marcus first, uh, if he's up for this, uh, um, can you be morally outraged at Zuma kicking his cat and be morally outraged at the moral outrage of Zuma kicking his cat. Because that's what seems to have happened here. Loads of people have said, oh, it's really fucking stop this guy. And then loads of people have got really annoyed at people saying that. So where do you stand on this, Marcus? (laughs) So your question is, can I be morally outraged at animal abuse 
and morally outraged at people being morally outraged at animal abuse at the yes. same time. Right. Are the two things mute are the two things mutually exclusive is, is your question. Because that's where I've got to with it. <laughs> this, this last four hours. Okay. So, like, yeah. so first of all, right, um, you do not abuse cats on social media. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Remember a couple of years ago, there was the woman that put the cat in the bin? In the bin? Yep. Yeah. Famously, yeah. Don't do that, man. So anybody, just word of advice, anybody that wants to abuse an animal make sure you do not post it on social media. That's, that's lesson number one for today. If you take nothing else away from this podcast on anything yeah. I say, not the best look. You know? So anyway, um, but to answer your question. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The, I think the short answer is the two things are not mutually exclusive. You can be morally outraged about um, abusing videos, abusing animals, and you can be really annoyed with people being annoyed about it. Right? And here's why. Because right? I think they're two separate things. You should be animal abuse is wrong, right? That, that's the bottom line. You should, you should We're all going to agree on that, right? Yeah, We're all gonna, most, before we get any emails, most, not the most controversial. I'll say my answer in a bit, Howard. Right. <laughs> but not the most controversial things to say that you know animal abuse is wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so so that's fine. But what I think people are annoyed about is the fact that there is human abuse. There are humans that are being abused around the world. There is a war in Ethiopia right now, a civil war in Ethiopia right now, where people are dying. There is, in the rest of the Horn of Africa, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, there are warnings of mass starvation, which are going to be happening in Somalia and Ethiopia and parts of Kenya, um, which in all likelihood is going to um, you know, cause the, the death or the premature death and suffering of millions, right? And people aren't talking about that, and that's not trending to the same degree on many of my social media. And so you can be equally angry that people are prioritizing the abuse of a cat over, um, uh, and seem to be seem to be prioritizing it over the lives of um, uh, black people or people that are. Uh, that are quote-unquote less sympathetic, whether that's um, migrants or, or what have you. And, I, and I'm upset about both. 
I'm upset mm. about the lack of caring about the fact that people are, and in all likelihood, are going to be dying in, in the Horn of Africa, right? Mm. And I'm upset about um, a cat being abused. So you can mm. be up, upset about both things. And I think I am more upset about the fact that no one seems to care in the UK mm. um, about the, the starvation which people are predicting is happening in the, in the Horn of Africa. So, and, and before I, before I uh, <laughs> hand over to Dane for, for you know, I, I think Dane will have a thing to say or two here, but um, is I just think watching this play out, I just couldn't help but think, fuck. Because like, obviously I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't want to upset people, but I was just like, fuck. Like, our simple brains are becoming so easily manipulated or are just so, so uh, just born now to be pulled in by the simple thing. And, 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 it's, and that's the reason that everyone's got upset about this cat. And I'm definitely agreeing with what you, you're, you're getting at, Marcus. But like, the simple thing is don't kick the cat. This complicated thing would be, well, what is this story of what's happened here in Africa? What, you know, this, there will be many layers to the, to, the, to, the, to the story that people w- you know, wouldn't know about. And therefore, they just don't uh, engage on these things. And I just think to people, f- come on, people, fucking see through that. And that your mind is being, con- you know, you're just being given the simple thing and just, they're just reeling you in. Like the fuck, I don't like Boris Johnson, but this party thing is slightly ab- uh, absurd in some level. I don't disagree with what's going on, but and I want him out of the job, but I just think it's madness, the level they're pulling us in, Dane. What do you think, mate? Um, I think, and I hope, pulling pull in your ears close and listen to British people and people who wish, you don't give a fuck about pets. Get off your fucking selves and go fuck yourselves. You don't give a fuck about pets. You know how I know you didn't give a fuck about pets? Because you pedigree breed pets. So the first thing you're doing already is a biological practice which reduces their biodiversity and predisposes them to be more uh, susceptible to diseases diseases and genetic disorders and degenerative disorders and affecting their fertility. For example, did you know the British Bulldog is so inbred that it can barely conceive without the help of a vet? And that epitomizes the British in, in, in a whole nutshell, that you would rather uphold an image and an aesthetic that is genetically recessive and inbred for the sake of image. So my issue is, and I should probably caveat before I continue, yeah, I do not agree with animal cruelty. But then what are we defining as animal cruelty then? Because people eat foie gras in this country and people have free-range chickens that aren't necessarily free-range. So which animals are more important than others? Do we really care about animals when we have something like a pug, which is so inbred that it literally drops down dead because it has respiratory problems later on in life because it's been designed for nothing other than the aesthetic? We live in a country where people make their animals get married. Animals don't marry. They don't observe the same. <laughs> they don't observe the same kind of rituals as we do as Homo sapiens. But people force them to do that by projecting their needs and their needs to make to anthropomorphize the animal kingdom onto these poor animals. So my issue is: Do we really care about animals? Do you really pay, care about cats and dogs and pets? Because a lot of the time, companies like Peta, when they recover animals, if they're not able to rehouse them, they euthanize them, which means they're just going to kill them at a later date. Now, personally speaking, as a human being, if someone was like, "We're going to rescue you from your parents because they're bad, but we're going to put you on death row," I'd be like, "That doesn't sound very nice." So, for me, this outrage regarding where pets are concerned for me, is one of the biggest vestiges of white supremacy in this part of the world, is the need to control other life forms and breed them for their own aesthetic 
uh, purposes because you hear that being repeated, you know, even within culture casually when some white people say stuff like, I'd love to have mixed race kids because they're so cute, commodifying these children and treating them as if they're some kind of breed of an animal rather than thinking about the psychological makeup and how that person's supposed to thrive in the world. So it's always been a part of European culture just to breed animals for nothing other than aesthetic. Is this a practice that actually helps these animals? I don't think so. Uh, And also further to your point, Marcus, I feel like while, you know, some people may argue over the semantics of valuing human life over other organisms, what people have to accept is that we exist in a custodial fashion within other organisms as opposed to being a dominant species because there can be no dominant species because every species in the world has to observe a level of interconnectivity or symbiosis with all other organisms. No one stands alone by themselves, but human beings, even when they talk about their caring of other pets and stuff, we speak as if we are on top of, we may be on top of the food chain, but it's still a food chain. So Mm. really, if people really care about pets, because I don't think you don't give a fuck about pets really, what you give a fuck about is having an organism you can control who can't tell you no or tell you, don't use me because you want to have children. So do we really care? If we really cared about pets, would we be separating an entire species along the lines of breed? There is no scientific basis to have breeds because all mm. dogs are supposed to be dogs and all cats are supposed to be cats. So breeds for aesthetic are really just a function of human beings playing God. So no, you're, 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 anyone who are, I mean, it is difficult to argue with this because I think... You know, I was talking to my wife. Dade, if anyone doesn't know in this show that me and my wife have a strange relationship with my cat and uh, I, my cat helped me invent one of my most successful TV shows. Like, you, you need to go back and listen to some other episodes. <laughs> but, like, Dane knows this love that me and this, me and my wife have for this cat is, is, is a real love. However, my wife for, for, will forever feel incredibly guilty that she, we, we had her, you know, a spade, right, is what he called her, made her yeah. sterile. And, like, I kind of think to myself... God, I can't believe you fucking did that. Like, because obviously I know this cat and I think, God, if we just influence this cat's it's, life in you know, some natural, really quite dark way. It's a common practice. But the question course, is, if yeah. we are naturally giving these animals the right to flourish and giving them the right for them to exist as a species by robbing them of the ability to reproduce, do we really care about them? Because... To be honest with you, it's not the first time I've seen people do that before because in Israel they were sterilizing Ethiopian Jews and they used to, and even the inventor of birth, as it, as a, uh, Margaret Sangford, the woman who kind of was the pioneer of um, Planned Parenthood and birth control, didn't she? Uh, also, um, yeah, I think the, the American lady who was also like in favor of uh, like sterilizing Latina women and uh, indigenous uh, and American I, women. I, I, could be completely wrong with the name I just used, so please excuse me, everybody. But you're yeah. absolutely right. There, there's lots of links between um, uh, birth control um, and Planned Parenthood and, yeah, and, and structural racism and, as and, well, and, and eugenics. Yeah, and eugenics. Right? Yeah, that, that yeah, doesn't so. mean. I mean, there's, there are links between Nazism and and vegetarianism. Hitler was a was a big vegetarian and an animal rights person. Um, uh, one of the first policies that Nazis brought in was to actually ban fishing for cruelty to fish, right? That doesn't mean that just because you care for animals makes you a Nazi, I hasten to add. But, you know, it's... it's nor, nor, does care, nor does caring for animals or appearing to care for animals necessarily make you a good person. Because if you've yeah. got a French bulldog or any of these luxury bred animals, you can fuck the fuck off. But in the end, the thing <laughs> you said quite a, quite a while ago, that Dane, in this, in this, in this point, was like about how superficial like that's the bit that i'm i'm yeah. driving at the kurt zuma story 
is a superficial story. Yes. What should happen is a man who earns millions of pounds should go and think about what he's done. He's lost his... They've taken the cats away from him now, yeah. which arguably is the right thing to do. Depends what happens to the cats. And the third thing is his foot, uh, his employers who must have called him up and been like, what the fuck are you thinking about, Kurt? Like, this is the stupidest thing. What? If you, imagine if my, I did that at my job, they would probably sack me or at least I'd be in major trouble. And that's the problem, should... Howard, because if someone said to me, Dane, why'd you kick a cat? I'd say, because my prime minister didn't know whether or not he went to feed fucking children. So get the fuck <laughs> off my fucking phone. Are you crazy? <laughs> you have but, a person who's still in power when the majority of people in power could not even decide if they should be feeding children in their own country, in a fully developed country with a functioning democracy, didn't know if they should feed children until a footballer started doing it. And then they were like, yeah, we should do it too. So mm -hmm. really, this is, the, this is the thing about society and etiquette. The standard really is based on the fundamentals that will have some roots in theology and also government policy. If the person in charge of your country has the police come into his house for domestic violence, right? Then he doesn't know if he's going to feed fucking children. Then in one of the biggest global pandemics we've seen since 1948, then he decides that they're going to give away contracts for PPE to their friends. So my issue is, are we going to scrutinize the lack of morality we're seeing or are we going to scrutinize the lack of morality? Because last time I checked, threatening people's lives and families because they missed a penalty seems excessive to me. And also, when Luis Suarez was calling people monkeys, he was only getting fined 40 grand. But you're finding Kurt Zuma a quarter of a million pounds. Is that what they're saying now? I yeah, seen in a that. country where you don't even know if you can feed your own fucking children. For me, that's why I love this podcast, man. For me, <laughs> for me, this is a joke. Like, so Howard, in answer to the question, you can be morally outraged at both. But as far as I'm concerned, where are we joining the line for morality? Because a dog or a cat, a cat is a fucking mammal and it reaches its adulthood and therefore will have the same instinctive inclinations as any mammal when they reach adulthood. So imagine how it feels when you're a fully grown fucking woman and some other woman has you cuddling them to your fucking face after you've been sterilized, being like, you're my baby. But it's not a fucking baby. That's an adult that at some point has the biological instinct to reproduce themselves, which we as human beings rob them of because we want something to cuddle. Yeah. So this is the thing. If we want to have a wider conversation about the semantics of even pet ownership, how moral is it really if you are taking away the ability of another organism to reproduce for your own convenience? Or if this, uh, this animal develops any kind of detrimental disorder, you can be like, it'll be very difficult to look after. I'll just put it down. Oh, man. Well, you know how I feel about that. I've talked about that before. No, and, and what I hadn't realised, just real quickly, and I've just Googled it, because I don't follow football well enough, um, is that his parents, that Zuma's parents, come from the Central African Republic. Right? And so if you look at what's happening to, and has been happening to people in Central African Republic, um, a lot worse than being kicked. Right? And, there, and there isn't the moral outrage um, for what is happening to million, at least hundreds of thousands of people in the Central African Republic. And so I'm not against people being outraged by a cat, but there needs to be some parity 
with regards well, to... They don't, be... they don't care. You don't fucking care. Fuck off. It's a distraction. You can bite onto it if you want to, but you don't care. You know how I know? Because in China, they have a festival where they eat dogs. And now that China has become an economic superpower, none of you are going to bring it up or scrutinize them for it. Mm. You're not going to say a fucking word. They put them in cages, marinate them like it was a piece of brown stew chicken, and they eat dogs in a festival. Now that China has realized its position as a global superpower and an enormous consumer market on which Western powers are dependent on, they're not going to say a word. None of you will say anything. In fact, the last time someone said something, they will, the last time a footballer even referenced any treatment or any mistreatment of human beings or living beings in China... They got kicked off of a football team, if you recall correctly, Howard. Yeah, yeah, Ozil, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to move on. I mean, I, we could do this all. We could do this for a lot longer, but we're going to have to get the final question in today, Dave, because I know you've got uh, something you want to talk uh, to Marcus about. But listeners, look, think about what we've, what's, what's been said. It's a really interesting one. Over to you, Dave. Final question today. Well, um, I think it's just been natural to go into this next part here. Well. Uh, given that you spent uh, a quarter of a century working in the media trying to affect uh, diversity, uh, Mr. Ryder, I guess my question really is, um, yeah, it's really quite, I want to keep it quite simple because I've, uh, I guess I've only been in the game for as long as, uh, say 20, as far as TV and stuff, maybe 2015. So it's been, yeah, I found out that uh, the sitcom I did was uh, the first sitcom on the BBC with a majority black cast in 20 years. So I guess I want to ask from someone who's actually been involved in this struggle from a very early point, especially given the last two years, how has the drive for diversity and inclusion gone for you? <laughs> <laughs> highs and lows. Maybe two highs and two lows. Would, would get, um, nuanced. I, I think there's lots of <clears throat> lots of highs. So I... First got was introduced to to television and film when I was sixteen. I think it was sixteen or fifteen. I went to see um, Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Mm-hmm. I went to see that in the cinema. I just I went by myself. I didn't. No one else really wanted to see it. They said it was a black and white film. All my friends were like, "I'm not going to see a black and white film." All right. So I went to see see that, and that influenced not just me but influenced lots of people and after that I did work experience for a black film collective called Chedo who made some amazing films with Menelik Shabazz who died recently um, set it up um, an extraordinary black filmmaker and they made films about Rasta women and they made films about black British experience and you know absolutely fantastic and working with them all the way back when I was, and I think I did work experience with them when I was 17, um, that's a real high. And mm. working with, and I think any black creative person gets this, working on something which represents your culture, speaking your truth, um, it might be about race, it might be about another aspect of your identity. But there is power in that, and it's, and it's beautiful. And so any time I've had the chance to do that, that's, that's been a real high for me. You know, and you see that, you see that happening. Um, well, I've got a few examples of that. The, the lows are that where's, how are we progressing? 
you know? Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess it's, I don't know, a phrase question really, because, you know, you could, because one might argue now, like there's a BET UK, you had like Mo Gilligan hosting the Brits. Um, you've had like over the last year or so, like British rap seems to have, has, has a firm hold within music, but we've had these peaks and troughs and renaissances of the uh, face of blackness appearing in, in mainstream media only to kind of disappear for many years. So, but, but the person who employed, Mo, I love Mo, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to, right? Yeah. But the person who employed him, um, the person who was the executive producer, the person who was the commissioner um, for the Brits, those people have not changed. Yeah. You know, the people who actually decide what is commissioned, the stories which are told and what have you, those people have, have not changed. And so there's an, there's an aspect and it can be so nuanced. You need to be careful because I'm always nervous that things will be taken out of context. And I have to stress that I, that anything I say is not a criticism of, of Mo or any other um, person on, on screen, but we've had black people on screen mm-hmm. since the minstrels, right? We've, we've been minstrel. Black people have been in entertainment and have been minstreling, right? Um, uh, for for decades not only that if you actually go back thousands of years right the gladiators in yeah. in the roman Colosseum were famous they they were celebrities they were actually yeah, yeah. celebrities they were the equivalent of your sports stars of but, of but today they, but they were still slaves but they were still slaves and there's every possibility that they could die yeah. right and so you know so and, it sounds that sounds so chillingly familiar that you can be a millionaire and you can be in the public eye, but if you are killed, then there'll be very little investigation or outrage as to your death, which sounds so familiar today when you think about today's rappers and yeah. Yeah, and and, and, and then you people say, you know, you just sound so pessimistic that there's no progress or, or whatever. But you fundamentally want to we well, want to change the system, you know? And what happens is that and so the equivalent that I, or the example that I sometimes use is George Orwell mm-hmm. critiqued um, uh, uh, Dickens, mm-hmm. right? And so Dickens wrote, um, uh, as I'm sure you all both know, Oliver Twist, right? Mm-hmm. Dickens' view was that there's nothing really wrong with society, but you just needed nicer people. So in mm-hmm. Oliver Twist, you don't want to get rid of the, of the poor house. It's just that when Oliver asks for more, you might want to put some blueberries in his porridge, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Cromwell, whereas um, Orwell, Orwell, not Cromwell. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Whereas what Orwell was saying is, you need to get rid of the poorhouse. Yeah, right. Irrespective of pointing out, oh, it's got a bit nicer. And again, if you look at um, the history of, of being recently doing some reading about um, the abolitionist movement and what have you, you know, a large part of the abolitionist movement was not, as we think of it now, of trying to get rid of slavery. There was a large strand which was trying to make slavery more tolerable, trying to bring in laws and so that you couldn't whip your slaves or bring in laws which would mean that there'd be better, that you actually give them, you institute that they definitely have Sunday off, right? You need to get rid of slavery. You know, that, that's the bottom yeah. line. And similarly, you know, it's like, While a sugar, I, like a sugar tax, like obesity is an issue, but rather than be like, stop making such damaging stuff. Yeah. We're like, and, oh, we'll just tax it. Here you phone. And, and I want you to get 
another sitcom. I want Mo Gilligan to be on TV more often, all of that. But fundamentally, I want Mo to be the commissioning editor. I want you to be head of comedy, you know, rather than you having to be at the vagaries of what the existing commissioning process decides is funny for you. You know, so I think one of the things that's complicated this, Marcus, this this, this conversation in 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 the past, I'm going to say decade, but it's a bit longer, is uh, our kind of d- democratization that we've seen on the internet, and then a desire to replicate someone's success off their own back a lot of the time. Right, they sometimes they'll be working with other people and stuff, but like people have it, you know. You see, you see, you'll see people desperately trying to kind of latch on to the the next thing. I've fucking done it. I've been guilty of it. Most people in television have, right? And yet, doing that and not actually investing emotionally, creatively, physically, financially in those things and just trying to exploit them has almost become a different kind of form of, of of the game right well, uh, well, and, and it's quite un- it's quite unhealthy i think and the thing is obviously it's i think the issue is is that until you indulge people within your day-to-day life like trying to indulge them or trying to be inclusive of them in these other fields whether it's like entertainment or sports or politics is not going to happen anyway so i think for me uh when you say how things have changed, like you might see more opportunities for people to appear on TV and it's quite superficially, but it's as you said, unless we are appearing in these executive roles where you actually are involved in the decision-making and actually determine the policy, then it is a question of everybody waiting around for a bone to be thrown from powers that be. And, you know, you have black people fighting over it, the LGBT community fighting over it, the disabled community fighting over it. And then the people have to kind of, divide themselves along these lines of identity politics to try and have these oppression Olympics and determine who's more deserving of these opportunities. When the question is, equality would be like having the faces there. Equity is having the access to the same resources to in order to affect these kind of changes, is, uh, as you're saying, Marcus. I, so I, I definitely agree with that. It's like I said, it's all fine, but uh, we, 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 we've had these black images on the other side of the microphone for years. So... How much can they really affect? It's if you have policy, which actually, so because for example, government policy that would allow for more black children and creatives to have more resources so they could be involved in these schemes would facilitate that. But now you have a system which doesn't provide a lot of subsidy for people to go to study. You know, you have a country where the media center is in London, but most people can't afford to live here and pay rent and in turn at the BBC in order for them to be able to get in these positions in the first place. So, yeah, so far as these, which is why there's a difference between racial rhetoric and diversity and inclusion, and there's a difference between actual institutional equity and structural equity. There's a big difference between those two things. So the the Lenny Henry Centre published a report yesterday um, which looked at black representation in documentaries. And what was interesting for me with with that report is it looked at what subject areas um, uh, we're we're in. And we are overrepresented whenever there's a black subject, whenever there are black people in documentaries, it's invariably um, uh, about crime. I think racism was the big one. Mm -hmm. Then crime, right? Entertainment, as in kind of singing and dancing. And then sport. 
right? So that it's those it's those four areas of which, um, if there's going to be a program about which involves black people in Britain, those are the those four areas. You know, it's and one of the things we so we was on the back of the um, of the launch of that report, we then did a webinar where we had some executives talk, and they said that's primarily because the broadcasters still feel that the audience is white, right? And now this is the thing which is sometimes hard to get people's head around, that racism often isn't about black people, mm. which is why white people often like stories about racism. It still centers, not always, but it can center white people because it's really about them. It's about their relationship to black people, mm -hmm. right? It might be, it's a bit like the abusive boyfriend saying about his ex-girlfriend, yeah, but does she still talk about me? Mm. You know, mm. it's, it still centers white people often when we talk about racism. It's still, you know, and similarly, it's why the, sorry, that this is rather kind of just stream of consciousness here, so apology. No, that's right? that's but, definitely what we're here for, apologize. definitely what we're here for, yeah. but right. don't worry at all. But it's why that Sainsbury's advert um, a few Christmases ago mm. was so powerful Because what you had with that is that you had a black family who didn't need white people. To, it wasn't about white people. It okay. didn't center. It wasn't saying that white people made them unhappy. It wasn't no. saying that white people made them unhappy. It didn't happy. say anything. It was, just, it it was just they weren't involved at all. They like just weren't involved. Yeah, yeah. Which is why so many white race people were like so angry. Because yeah. whereas you don't get as many complaints by those same white people when they discuss racism because it's still about them. Yeah. You know, and so it's if we were given a free reign as black people to commission what we wanted, what are the stories that we would tell? And I suspect that we would be telling stories about cat abuse or stories about, you know, just randomness, as you do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's and that's and I think that I think that's definitely it. Is that it's a uh, it's um being able to tell stories that become just so, so your cast is more incidental rather than like these contrived efforts to be like, this is a black cast or this is a black character we have in a show. Because as we know, uh, whenever that does happen, because there's such a focus on it, it means that that particular black person or black presence in that space carries the burden or the task of being representative of an entire group of people, which is impossible for anyone to do. Because, you know, even I say to people all the time, it's like the fact that Lenny Henry still has to say this should tell you how bad the issue is. Because, you know, even when people respond, it's like the fact that you can only name, name Lenny Henry should tell you there's an issue with, you know, with inclusion in this country. Especially when you look, you know, and even, and even like when you look at on a Forbes list of successful comedians from the West, none of them are white English people. And so it means that even the purchasing power of a white audience clearly wants to hear a story of someone else's life or from another perspective. So, It's, um, this has been a, one of my favorite episodes for a long time, Dane. It's been a good, it's been, uh, it's, I know it's been really, we've gone deep into some stuff and you know, it's been, it's been great, right? Rabbits eat their own children. So I'm just saying, this has been a great episode. But I just important, want to remind you guys that yeah, rabbits eat their own point. children. And I think even, yeah, and, and uh, you can feed a, a hamster food and, and they'll eat until they die. So 
Mm. No one's perfect, guys. Even your own. No one's even perfect. Your, even your but this show was. This show, this show was, was this great. week, Dave. This was great, uh, Marcus. Thank you so much. You know, I love the show, man. Seriously, I'm I've, I've talked about. <laughs> I'm I'm really worried about listening back to it because I'm. Nah. This, this is more like just me just chatting nonsense with my friends. Yeah, and that's what we're going for. I'm, I'm just... You are going to be more than welcome back on this show at some point. <laughs> we're going to we're going to wait for something juicy and get you back on. And non cat. Well, why don't we put together a show ourselves, Marcus, and we'll pitch that, and then we can have well, conversations like this all the time. Yeah, man, <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. And I'm meant to be again. I'm meant to be publicising my stuff, but we're talking about things where um, the blackness is not. In, it's kind of incidental, but they're right now, and I think it's still on. Lenny James at the Old Vic, right, in a thing called A Number, is possibly the best. And I've got no shares in it at all, nothing, nothing to do with me. I just went along as an audience member. It's a beautiful example. It's um, a black father, black son, their relationship. They don't talk about racism, but it's clearly, but the people are not raceless. You know, it's clearly a black father and a black son talking to one another throughout the entire play. It's absolutely fantastic. And if there's an example of what we're trying to reach and what we're trying to achieve of black representation, everybody should go if it's still if it's still on a number at the Old Vic. Fantastic acting. Brilliant. Fantastic. And um, and, and I'll, I'll do the, the thing of saying you should also look at Marcus's books. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just because, you. you know, it's important. You yeah, should they're, also they're, look at Marcus's books. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. It's been a joy. Absolutely. Thank you very Thank much you. for coming on, Marcus. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste. Our guest was Marcus Ryder, MBE. You can follow Marcus on Twitter at Marcus Ryder. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. <laughs>